a Mother's Day lesson creates some tension for the person that stands here. I'm pretty sure that that's why Pastor Jim has put me on deck for the last two years for Mother's Day. I've called him one before. I'll say it again. He's a bit of a chicken when it comes to women-ish messages. He leaves those for me. There's also the tension that's created in us because we want to deliver a message that is totally devoted and tailored to the mothers, that encourages them. But then you don't want to exclude the men in the room. You don't want to exclude or create sadness for women who may be here today who have not so great relationships with their children. Or maybe you don't have a great relationship with your mother. Or maybe your mother has already passed away. And for the people in the room like me, you don't want to create or add to any condemnation and shame and guilt. Because no matter how much we wanted to, we just didn't get to have children of our own. Or you don't want to ostracize that young lady who's petitioning God fervently to allow her to be pregnant. So there's a tension that gets created as you look at preparing a Mother's Day message. But thankfully, I'm not in control of this. God is. And as we finished the sermon series last weekend called Redeeming the Time, Taking Back Our Sabbath, Pastor Jim spent a month brilliantly explaining the importance of us remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy and honoring Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And he told us that it's, impo it's important, it's imperative that we take a day of physical rest from the toils and trials of our life and our work to rest. And if you guys are like me, I'm trying. I don't have that figured out yet. So far, it's not been a day of rest for me. Um, it's been like 30-minute windows. My hope for today is that as you hear the message that God has given us and as we look at being devoted that we find rest for our minds because even in those 30 minutes of rest that I've, I'm learning to take here and there my mind never stops running I'm thinking about the things that I should be doing while I'm sitting in a chair or on the couch I'm thinking about how much longer my to-do list is getting because I'm not doing anything My hope for today is that each of us finds rest in our minds as we pursue being devoted. You see, in our life, we all have titles, we have names, we have labels, we have responsibilities. For me, I am daughter, I am sister, I am aunt to the three coolest kids on the planet. In my trade, I am a project manager. To some of you in this room, I am the friend that loves you enough to tell you the hard truth. To others, that same person is just harsh. I am second mama to my Maddie. I am wife. I am Pastor Jim's wife and I'm Jim's wife. Same lady, two totally different roles and responsibilities. You see, we all have these titles. Most recently, I was promoted. It's my shirt. You can see I was promoted to Mima. Huge honor for me to carry that name. But what about those labels that we give to ourselves? What about unworthy, not good enough, too much, too little, failure, ashamed, broken. 
You see, somewhere in the mix of having all of those labels, I have an identity crisis, and I, I've talked to some of you. Most of us do. I find myself losing myself in all of these roles and responsibilities and tasks and names. And I think we all sometimes find ourselves in the darkness of night, in the, in the, in the front of our mind, and in the deepest recesses of our soul, asking the question, who am I? And crying out sometimes in desperation to God, God, who am I supposed to be? And then we put ourselves in this place to where we compare ourselves with others. Because you see, all of us want to create significance. We all want to believe that our life holds some significance. We want to believe that we're building a legacy to those around us and that we're going to leave a legacy to those who will come behind us. And as we compare ourselves, we, we find that we miss the mark more and more and more. And as I studied today's lesson, I'm reminded and read of so many women in the Bible who did so many amazing, wonderful things. Like, there's books written about them in the Bible. Whole books. And then we sit here and go, well, how am I supposed to build my life on that? How am I supposed to build the lives of my children on that? That doesn't really create rest in us. But there is a woman in our Bible that I'm absolutely fascinated with. I've taught on her before under a different context. She did so many amazing things, there's only two scriptures written about her. But in those two scriptures, her entire life is on display for us. Her entire life is an example to us of what being devoted is. Devoted to God and devoted to his people and devoted to our family. And as we learn from her today, my hope and my prayer is that each of us finds rest as our focus shifts toward the right devotion. Psalm chapter 31 verse 15 says, My times are in your hand. Charles Spurgeon wrote of this voice, this verse, To be entirely at the disposal of God is life and liberty for us. Life and liberty is rest. There is freedom in being at the disposal of God. The lady I'm going to talk to you about today's name is Anna, and we can find her in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Anna was present when Jesus was presented in the temple after his birth. Verse 36 says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption, redemption of Jerusalem. You see, like Anna, we'll find rest if we devote ourselves to service. Anna was devoted to serve. The Bible tells us in chapter 36 that she had lived with her husband, seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. This gives us an indication of the age of Anna. Most Bible scholars believe her to be 105 years old. So let that teach us that we are never too old to serve. It says, from this verse we can see that Anna served her family. 
our job is to serve our family. And that's not popular in today's culture. But I'm not here to tell you you can't have a job. I'm not here to say you can't have a career. I'm not here to say any of that. But I'm here to say it's important that we serve our family. Like most kids growing up, my brother and I received our correction, our direction, and our instruction from our diet. But we watched our mom. And we mimicked. Like most of us, we mimic what our moms do. So, Mama, the message today is as you serve, know that your children are watching you. And that your children will be servants because you have served. People ask me all the time, why do you do such and such? I don't know. It's what my mama does. It's how my mama does it. Your kids watch you, and your kids will follow you in your footstep, Mom, as you serve others. Because to serve others is to be Christ-like. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, when we serve others, we are permitting their needs above our own, which causes rest in our mind because we're no longer focused on ourselves. Turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 12 through 17 for you. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If you then the Lord, if I then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus wasn't telling us here to completely just go around physically washing people's feet. He was saying, I've given you an example. And what is that example? The example is that he permitted the needs of his disciples and us above his own. Because this story happens in the Last Supper. That means the last. That means there's not another one tomorrow. That's the Last Supper. He knew that he was about to be betrayed by one he truly loved. He knew that he was about to withstand total brutality to death on a cross. But even when he had a right to be focused on himself, he wasn't. He was focused on the needs of his disciples and preparing them and teaching them to prepare for what they were about to encounter after what he was about to encounter. Serving others takes focus off of ourselves. It'll also take focus off of those labels that we carry, especially those that we give to ourselves. I was very, very, very insecure for a long time. And I thought I was very, very, very humble because I was constantly serving people. I was always doing nice things for everybody. And then the Lord convicted me about my motives. Because my service wasn't for them. My service was for me. My service was so that they would like me. I did nice things, bought gifts, did those things for people because so that they would like me and that they would speak positively about me. And God said, that humility you carry, you're just self-centered. 
because everything is about you. God changed my motive. And I found true rest when I started serving from the right heart and with the right motive. I don't get it right all the time. I still to this day have a pity party every once in a while when Pastor Jim and I haven't got to be alone and have fun and go out on a date night or just be husband and wife because we seem to never leave the temple. But then someone calls and tells us what God did for them this week. Or there's a prayer request that's been answered. The testimony of growth in someone towards righteousness and towards Christ-likeness. And I'm reminded just how much joy and how much rest comes from permitting the needs of others above my own because I'm no longer focused on myself. I'm, I'm others-focused. Anna was devoted to prayer. In verse 37b, it says that she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. You see, I think we struggle sometimes. We don't believe that God wants to hear from us. But he says very plainly in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12, You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Two verses in Scripture, God says, I will listen to you, and I will answer you. Prayer becomes a privilege for us. Because Jesus, through his sacrifice, created the ability for us, as Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus gave us that access to the throne of grace. And it's a privilege to us to be able to approach it. Why do we approach it? Because we find rest in prayer. I mentioned to you guys earlier that I'm a project manager by trade. When we're not talking about work, Angela, we call her control freak. Because I have a plan. And I have a plan for my plan for my plan. In case my outcome isn't what I expect it to be. Because my plans create unrest in me because of the outcome. Might not be what I want it to be. What if it's different from what I've got planned? So there's so much unrest that gets created in us but in prayer we can see that the outcome isn't our responsibility the outcome is God's responsibility because Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not the main point of this verse, but it says peace of God. It's not Angela's peace. Angela doesn't create peace. I usually eliminate peace. Peace of God. And the peace of God will take away our anxiety and our fear. But remember this while I read the next verse. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. And supplication. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says, for, him, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
from him, through him, and to him are all things. If we go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, in everything, everything and all things are all things. They're the same things. So we're supposed to take everything, all things, to prayer, to God. Because the outcome from him, through him, and to him. Romans 8.28 tells us that. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Pray about everything. Because all things are from him, for him, or to him. Because he works all things for the good. Whose definition of good? God's definition of good. The outcome is not our responsibility in prayer. Because as he moves on our behalf through prayer requests, as we bring our prayers to God, he's glorified. And people hear of him through our testimony of what he's done. But I'm not talking about the drive-by prayers we dump on God and we convince ourselves that we're fulfilling 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, praying without ceasing. I'm talking about devoted time of prayer. You see, I mentioned earlier that our children get their instruction, correction, and direction from their dads most of the time. Spending devoted time in prayer is us going to our Heavenly Father to get correction, direction, and guidance. I mentioned the control freak. So, I take most of my beatings in my time of prayer because God's willing to grow me when I'll close my mouth long enough to listen to him. God will change you as you devote yourself to prayer. If you don't believe me, I have a challenge for you. Begin praying Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 and 24 every day. I do, and it hurts my feelings. Those verses say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I promise, if you don't mean it, don't pray it. Time will permit me. I'm going to tell you two, couple of stories about how God has taught me that prayer changes me. People say prayer changes things. It does, but prayer changes me, and prayer will change you. Most of you know my dad passed away four years ago. Before he passed away, um, we were expected for him to have heart valve surgery, he had a leaky valve. And we were concerned that he wasn't going to make it through that surgery. So there was a Sunday morning, I stood right there during worship, and I prayed. God, heal my daddy. The answer was this fast. Lay your hands on him and pray. And my answer was no. 
I adore my dad. But my brother and I were intimidated by our dad. So we didn't have this intimacy where I would just walk up and say, hey, let me put my hands on you and pray. We just, we weren't, we were very stoic. But I kept petitioning God, heal my daddy, heal my daddy. And God kept saying, put your hands on him and pray. And I kept saying, no. Until he was in the hospital about to have his surgery. And I had fought it as long as I could fight it. And I, I surrendered. And I was going to do it. And I get my car to go to the hospital. And Mama calls and says, they're about to come in here and get him. I was like, all right, put him on speakerphone. So she put the phone on speakerphone and I prayed over my dad. And the next day, they walk in the room and say, he's not having to have surgery. That valve isn't leaking anymore. I don't tell you that to say, look at me, Angela's prayers. It's, it's not my, it wasn't my prayer. It was my obedience. Lesson number one, God will change you in prayer. He will stretch you to a degree that you will do nothing but be obedient. But you will see blessing in your obedience. Because my family's faith in healing grew monumentally. My daddy went to the golf course and talked to his golfing buddies and told them about the Lord. And they didn't typically talk about Jesus on the golf course. <laughs> and I was also blessed and given a memory and an intimacy with my dad I didn't have before. Most of you know several weeks ago, Pastor Jim was put in the hospital. There are people who have the same illnesses that he has, same diagnosis that he has, that are far sicker than him. And I was here at the church on a Friday afternoon by myself. And I, and I knelt down at this altar and I started praying. And I said, God, I repent. I repent that I don't spend every second of every day of my life on my face thanking you for the sustainment you've given my husband in his health. I have taken for granted what you've done. But then, because I'm, I'm just like everybody else, my, my flesh got in the way. And I told God what he was going to do. And I said, but you can't have him. I don't know how to adult without him. You can't have him. Holy Spirit said, how about you focus on my purpose, not yours? Less than 12 hours later, we were leaving the emergency room to get admitted to the hospital to where he'd have to have a couple of bags of blood. Why do I tell you that? Because of the rebuke that God gave me in prayer at that altar, I stood on the peace that God had given me by saying and knowing and trusting that God's purpose for my husband far supersedes my purpose for my husband. And I can stand on that because prayer will change us. For the mothers in this room, Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Seek his face, Mama. Seek his purpose for your kids. Pray over your children. Pray the word over your children. Pray for God's will, for God's favor, for God's protection in their life. Because he sees them all the time.
And as much as we love them, he created them for him and to him. They came from him. They're for him. And it's our job to commit them to him. Anna was devoted to the word. We also should be devoted to the word. It says, at that very moment, she came up. As Simeon was speaking, she came up. At that moment, as Simeon is declaring and praising God for this baby. You know how she knew to come up at that moment? Because she knew the word. She knew the writings of the prophets. She had studied to know what was to be coming. Isaiah says in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. She knew that there was a child promised to save them and she knew when he had been presented in the temple because she knew the word. You know, people say the cliche, but sometimes we're so flippant about what we say about the word. I'm going to get in the word. I'm going to get in the word. The whole point of this is that the word get in up. Turn with me to to Psalm chapter 119, verse 11 through 16. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. This is, this is the word. This doesn't contain just a few of them. They're not sprinkled in and out throughout here. This whole thing is the word, the whole counsel of God. Those expectations that we place on ourselves and those expectations placed on us by all those different roles and labels and titles that we carry will fade away as you seek to be devoted to God's expectations for your life. Because if you meet God's expectations for your life, it's their problem if you're not meeting people's expectation of you. It's not your problem. We rest as we meet God's expectations. We rest as we trust this word over our children. Speak the word over your children. Pray the word over your children. Read the word to your children. Ensure that they know that Jesus was the word made flesh and that they can trust every word of this. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of words that our children hear outside of our home. But you can pray that they're ears be protected from those words and that only these words that have the ability to profit them are what they focus on. The Bible tells us in Ephesians to raise our children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. Admonition and instruction of the Lord. Anna was devoted to worship. We also should devote ourselves to worship. In verse 38, it says, She came up and began giving thanks to God. She thanked God for fulfilling his promise. She was thankful to see her work had been for nothing. It had not been for nothing. See, in a place of worship, we can rest our minds because we assign 
God his rightful place, and we're, be, we're sure to be put in our rightful place because he is greater. We worship God for who he is. We praise God for what he's done on our behalf and what we trust him to continue to do on our behalf. Again, in, in worship, we're not focused on us or our accomplishments. Worship helps us rest to see again that as much as the outcome of our prayers and our plans aren't our responsibility, the circumstances in our life aren't always our responsibility, although sometimes we self-inflict. Um, but the outcome of those circumstances is God's responsibility too. And you can praise him for what he's doing in your life. Your children deserve to hear you worship God outside of this church service. Because as I said before, they mimic you. As you worship, they'll worship. When Madison was little, Pastor Jim and I would always make her say thank you. Say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. Because we wanted her to be a person of thankfulness. We wanted her to be a person of thanksgiving. God deserves our thanksgiving and our praise, more so than the cashier at the Save-A-Lot when she gives you your change back. Anna was devoted to proclaiming. We should be people devoted to proclaim. Verse 38 says, And continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verse 18 through 20. Anna gave witness to what she saw. She gave witness to others that what they'd been believing and searching for had come, and she shared the hope that rested in the birth of Jesus Christ. See, her proclamation was for her that what she'd believed had come. She saw what she'd been praying for and what she'd been studying. And she spoke of the promise and the hope that this child offered to all mankind. And that's our job. That's, that's our only purpose. Jesus tells us in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives this instruction to teach and make disciples just as he did. I appreciate children's ministries and youth ministries. They're great. They're needed. But they're not the person that's meant to disciple our children. We are told to disciple our children. We have more time with them. We have more opportunity with them. How do we disciple our children? Well, be devoted to serve, be devoted to prayer, be devoted to the word, be devoted to worship, and be devoted to proclaim Jesus in everything you say and do and in every per into every person you encounter, especially our children. I want Maddie's life 
baby Landon's life on this earth to be better than anything I, I could ever give her, that we could give her. If I don't share eternity with her, if I don't tell her about the redemption that Jesus offers for her, I haven't done anything for her. And no matter how many times I hold that little guy and I tell him how much his mama and his papa love him, if I don't tell him about the one that loves him more than we can, his Jesus, my Jesus, I've done nothing for that child. Each and every one of us can look over the landscape of our life and, and find and think of people who have been devoted. I am because my mother has always been devoted. My nieces and my nephew are becoming because their mother, Amanda, has always been devoted. And in three and a half weeks, I've watched my daughter step into devotion. And I know that my grandbaby will be. Take the time this week to call those people who have been devoted to you and tell them thank you. And that their devotion has spurred you to good works. And commit with me today in prayer as we end this service to be a person that is devoted. That of all the labels, of all the names, of all the things that people call you, or whatever you call yourself, let the legacy of your life be that of devoted.